0: We are in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah, which means we've only got one more week after this of minor prophets. We thought this would never end, but we're getting there. We're almost there. And uh, so we're in the book of Zechariah. Let me read the first few verses to you. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah son of Iddo, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the prophets cried out, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? The prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I command my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, As the Lord of hosts proposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. Reading of God's word. We don't know very much about Zechariah. We have his father's names, but they don't mean a lot to us historically. Uh, We do know he is prophesying later, Uh, just like Haggai before this and Malachi, the last prophet. They come in at a little bit of a different time in history. We've been over this a bunch through this series, but Israel was divided. There was Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And Israel got taken off Uh, By Babylon and Judah got taken off by the Assyrians, and these prophets are writing in the time now when they're back, when the people are back. But they're trying to get on with their lives. They're trying to rebuild some things. Uh, You can go in the Old Testament and read a book like Ezra uh, and Nehemiah and Esther. All those all those books sort of happen right in here. So they come back in, and they're trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. They're trying to rebuild the temple, uh, but they're running into some problems. Namely, there's this group of people that have started to live there called the Samaritans. And they're people that are are a mix of Babylonians and Jews. And they're really the power in that area at this time. And so, whatever Israel wants to do, they have to do it. They have to get permission from the Samaritans. And so, they started building the walls, they started building the temple. And then eventually uh, the Samaritans said, no, you can't do that anymore. And so the work stopped. So all the work that Ezra and Nehemiah started getting fired up has slowed down. And now the prophets are coming in and trying to get Israel roused back up because we don't want to fall into the patterns that God has carried off into captivity in the first place. We really need to finish the work that God has started here. Uh, Zechariah overlaps with Haggai uh, by several months and then goes on and prophesies for a little while. From about 520 to about 518 BC is when Zechariah is prophesying. Zechariah is a longer prophetic book. He has a number of things that he writes about and uh, he's he's long for the minor prophets, I should say. He's not long compared to Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, Daniel, but for the minor prophets, you know, We've had some minor prophets that are only one or two chapters. His book's a little bit longer. Um, And he's one of the prophets that more than any of the other minor prophets has visions. So he has these moments where God sort of shows him something and, and, and peers spiritually into some situation and then ends up interpreting that for the people. Uh, I thought the best way to try to understand Zechariah is to look at one of these visions. So if you're following along in your Bible, uh, turn to Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah chapter 2. Fascinating, fascinating little vision that he has. We don't really know how these visions work, by the way. Um, they're not really described to us how they work, how this comes about. It sort of says that, that here, you're going to see in a second, the prophet lifts their eyes. Well, what does that mean? They kind of, they're just sitting there and suddenly they look up and they see this kind of vision unfolding. doesn't mean they're walking along in that circumstance and they see something happening that's in real life. We're not totally sure how this sort of vision works. We just know that God is giving vision to the prophets and gives them the ability to interpret them. Zechariah chapter 2. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, Where are you going? He said to me, To measure Jerusalem to see what its width and its length. What is its length and its width? And behold, the angel who talked to with me came forward. Another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, Run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around her, declares the Lord. And I will be the glory in her midst. So catch the vision, right? He looks up and he sees somebody who's using a measuring line. Now this line may not make a lot of sense to us, but in those days they didn't have tape measures. So what you would have is you would have some kind of rope that would be marked at certain lengths so that you could measure things out. And then based on those marks, you could make uh, all kinds of different shapes uh, knowing the math of how things work. People were real creative with being able to build. And so he has some kind of a line. You can imagine a tape measure or a long line that he's trying to measure out the city. And the, the measure only goes so far, right? So this takes a little while. If you've ever had to measure something... That's longer than your measuring stick is. You ever had this situation? So, this man's got to measure out, okay, mark, and then move the line again and mark, and try to mark out where Jerusalem was and where the temple was. So, Zechariah sees this man and says, What are you doing? He said, I'm trying to measure Jerusalem, trying to see what its length and its width is, trying to get the dimensions of how this city used to look. Now, this city's been destroyed, remember. Okay, the city has been destroyed by the Babylonians. And so they, and it's been a generation. So a lot of the people don't remember it in its former glory. They don't know how big it was or what it used to look like. So he's trying to measure out to figure out, okay, well, what is this thing that we're trying to work on? Actually, a pretty faithful thing to do. Um, right? This is a person who believes we're going to rebuild this city. Or maybe he just thinks, well, what did it used to look like? Let's figure out what we lost here. Um, So he goes about his measuring. And Zechariah is kind of looking at that. And the angel comes to him. Again, we we don't quite know how these visions work. And I haven't had a lot of them to be able to share a personal experience with you. It's not how God often speaks to people. But it is here. The angel comes, says to him, run and say to that man... Jerusalem is going to be inhabited as villages without walls. What's the problem here? Why is this man, what's this man getting wrong? Seems like he wants to measure. Seems like he wants to rebuild. Um, So what is the problem that this man has? Well, I don't know totally, but, but we can suppose that he's probably looking a lot to the past. He's trying to think about this this temple and say, well, what did this used to look like? Maybe we ought to look like that again. Maybe we ought to figure out how big we should be or kind of where these walls ought to go. See, we have a tendency to do that, don't we? We have our own measuring lines in our life where we try to say, okay, what did I do in the past? We measure ourselves and say, okay, well, did I do what I did in the past? Or we tend to measure against somebody else. We do this a lot. And say, well, so-and-so did this. That, am I doing that? Now, how much money does that person make? Do I make that much money? Somebody's got that nice house. Do I have that nice house? Somebody's this kind. Am I that kind? And we, we tend to measure up and look around and say, am I like or at least as good as the people around me? We do this against others. We do this against the past. We do this against the expectations of others. I don't know how many people have lived their whole lives trying to measure up to what their parents said about them or what their first husband said about them or their first wife said about them. And all their life they spend measuring, trying to see, is this enough? Am I good enough? Did I make it? Now look, there's, there's sometimes when measuring is good and important, we need sometimes to know how we're doing and where we are. We need sometimes some feedback to say, yeah, yeah, I need to get better in this. It's not measuring per se. It's measuring that gets us trapped or that gets our vision too small. That's the problem. This man's trying to measure to understand what the city used to be like. He's trying to judge the city. Okay, this, this is what the city is going to be. And Zechariah is saying, no. this city's going to be so much more than it used to be. You are getting so limited by your past that you're measuring against or by the things you're measuring against. You don't understand how much bigger the vision of God is for you because you're just stuck measuring against something else. So much bigger. And what's going to be different about this city? It's going to be so big that there's not going to be a need for walls. Not going to be a need for walls. This is huge in those days. You had to have walls. You had to fortify your city so that you could defend your city. And don't you think that's a really important thing to remember if you're Jerusalem and you've just been destroyed some years before, right? Your walls didn't hold up the first time. So we better defend ourselves. We better get our walls built. We better find out how to keep people out. Of course, we do that too, don't we? We put up our walls so that we don't let people in, so that we put limits in our lives so that that we can protect ourselves, so that we can be safe. And there's nothing wrong with some walls. You need some walls. You need some boundaries in your life, right? There are some people that you need to not have in your life, that you need to not let in because um, they're not healthy, because they're not safe. But the perspective that Zechariah has for Israel is, no, 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 this is not going to be a walled city anymore. I'm going to be your walls. I'm going to be your security. I'm going to be your protection. I'm going to be like a wall of fire around you. That is a really important image because a lot of Jerusalem was burned to the ground. Okay? The fires at that time burned for days after Jerusalem was gone down. Okay? So when they say wall of fire, everybody there, everybody in this text is thinking about the fire of Jerusalem when it burned. They're remembering that. But God says, "You're not going to need a wall in this city anymore. It's going to be so much bigger, have so many more people than you ever imagined. But I'm going to be the security for it. Walls, wall, you're thinking too small. You're thinking too small because you're trying to find your own security in your walls. I got something so much bigger for you. This same thing we do this in our lives. We do this in churches too, right? We tend to think of our church as this building and these walls." and these people. We don't have a sense that God has a much bigger idea of what the church is in this world. God has a much bigger idea beyond these walls that we find security in being around people we know and in familiar circumstances. But the Bible calls us for boldness. The Bible calls us to go out into the world. God's future can't be contained in your little walls and on your little measurements. Verse 6 says, up, up, flee from the land to the north, declares the Lord. For I have spread abroad, spread you abroad as the four winds of heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Israel, you are the apple of, Jesus, of his eye. You think God's just going to let everybody mess with you? God's not going to continue to allow that. He's going to come in and defend you and be with you. The language here is of, of that of a parent protecting their child. Right? I'll put up with a lot of stuff. Don't mess with my kids. Don't mess with my kids. And that's the kind of defense that God has. Behold, says the Lord. I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder to those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I dwell in your midst, declares the Lord, and many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me, and the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent all flesh before the Lord, for He has roused Himself from His holy dwelling. He's roused Himself. You think God's just being quiet off in the distance? This is what Israel thinks. We finally got our land back, but God won't let us finish the work. He's He's not here. His presence is not in the temple. We haven't rebuilt the temple. We don't have the protection of our walls. Where is our God? We're back, but we're not really back. No, no, no. Be silent, God says. For I'm awake, and I'm coming, and I'm going to deal with this. God's vision for our lives, God's vision for our church, God's vision for our families is so much bigger than we can normally imagine, than we can normally dream. We spend so much time building ways to protect ourselves and measuring against things that don't really matter, that often we miss out on the great things that God is calling us to. And Zechariah will have none of that. He will have none of that. And this is how he he prophesies. He has these visions, he's trying to get Israel excited. Because for Zechariah, something bigger is coming. Something bigger is coming. And what's interesting is as you keep reading Zechariah, you find that his sense of what's bigger that he's prophesying about. And I'm not sure he totally understood this at the time. But he says a number of things that then the gospel writers look back and say, you know, this thing that Zechariah was looking for, this awesome work of God in the midst of his people, it's going to come true in Jesus. Zechariah foresees God doing this work to rebuild Jerusalem to win peace. But it's not just building the city, it's building something so much bigger. So that these boundaries of Jerusalem include all kinds of people. Go out beyond the nation of Israel and even we as Gentile Christians get grafted into that. So let me look at a couple of prophecies in Zechariah here now so that you can understand exactly how he sees this vision in Jesus. And again, I'm not sure he understands that. But the Gospel writers look back and say, wow, look at some of these. So, Zechariah 9, nine says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your King is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is He, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The king is coming, says Zechariah. The king's coming. He's going to come to Jerusalem and everybody's going to get really excited and he's going to be riding on a donkey. He's not going to be your typical ride-in-on-a-horse kind of king. This is some kind of a paradoxical king that rides in on a donkey. Now we remember then, don't we? When Jesus rode in on a donkey and the people yelled in the streets, in what city? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And this text is referred to. In John chapter 12, it reads, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees, went out to meet Him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Zechariah has this vision that when God brings his peace, it's going to be a king riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And it happened that very same way with Jesus. There's another vision in Zechariah chapter 11. Zechariah is called by God to see himself as a shepherd in this vision. And he has a conversation with the other shepherds about wages. So Zechariah 11, starting in verse 12. Then I said to them, If it seems good to you, give me wages. But if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced to them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver... Threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. It's a very interesting text that's picked up later on by the gospel writers related to Judas. If you remember in Matthew 26, let me read. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. From that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Judas, um, later on in chapter 27, changes his mind. He regrets his decision. And he comes in and tries to say, you know, I I did this over an innocent man. And they said, well, what is it to us? So Judas takes his money, his 30 pieces of silver, and he throws it in the temple just the way Zechariah describes it. And then runs out and hangs himself for what he had done. And the priests are looking at this money, and they think this is blood money. We can't use this, and so they go out and they buy the field of a worker in the area, or in the temple, who was the potter. It's called the Potter's Field, and for, 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 from then on until the gospel writers uh, were writing, uh, this field was the burial place for strangers in the community, and they called it the Field of Blood. Now think about how amazing that is. Zechariah has this prophecy and here's Judas doing this exact thing. And he throws the money into the temple and it's used to buy a potter's field. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 refers to the fact that the Messiah, this one who's coming that would save Israel, would be pierced. It says this, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and grace and please for mercy, so that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, uh, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly only ha- over him as one weeps over a firstborn. This is not the only time in the Old Testament, but this is one of the times in the Old Testament where it talks about the Messiah being pierced. We know Jesus was pierced in two ways. He is pierced in His hands and in His feet on the cross. And He's also pierced in the side by the spear. In fact, Revelation will, uh, will pick up on this. Revelation 1.7, it says, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him. Even those who pierced Him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, Amen. So John, in writing the Revelations, looks back at this verse. And looks back at Jesus being pierced, and uh, connects him, and says, "Look, someday people are going to wail and are going to cry when Jesus returns, and they realize this one that was pierced on their behalf." Zechariah also prophesies in chapter thirteen. It says, "Awake, O soul, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me," declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. Jesus actually quotes this verse, refers to this verse, in Matthew chapter 26. Notice these are all coming out of Matthew. Matthew is the the more Jewish of the gospel writers, and he tends to really pick up on this stuff. This is the night before Jesus, the night Jesus was betrayed. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, die with you. I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Jesus quotes Zechariah and says when the shepherd is struck, when I get struck down you all are going to scatter. You're going to leave me. You're going to be gone and I'm going to be by myself. Jesus has a sense that what he is doing is what Zechariah is prophesying will ultimately bring peace and security. Imagine these words. Now think about this. Words written 520 years before the birth of Jesus. Okay? Words written 550 years before they would take place at the death of Jesus. And yet they come true. And the Gospel writers look back and say, Man, this plan that the prophets talked about was much bigger than just Israel getting security. There was something global going on when Jesus came. You can trust this book. 520 years ahead, it's prophesying this stuff. You can trust this book, and you can trust this Jesus who was pierced for you. Though you you may have left Him, you may have scattered, you may have betrayed Him, you may have gone away from Him, but I got news for you. Jesus does not measure like you do. Jesus does not measure against all this other stuff. Jesus measures, and He says, yep, you fall way short. And then he measures his cross and he says, but I, I got that covered. See, we sell ourselves so short when we measure against other people, okay? It really is like having a ruler that's not long enough to measure. We just, we can't even get a grasp of the great things God has for us. And, and maybe they're difficult. I'm not saying that they're going to be easy. I'm not saying they're always going to feel like blessings. I'm not saying that uh, God's not going to give us some stuff that's wrapped in work clothes not going to give us some stuff that's wrapped in pain and sorrow, but that He brings out of those things lessons. That He develops in us a character. That He gives us the opportunity as we go through painful things to speak to other people in painful things. God has so much more beyond the little walls that we try to build our secure lives. God's story is way bigger than your measuring tape. I mean, Look at how he was already telling it 520 years before the fact. He's got a sense of where you're going to be in 20 years too. You can trust him. You can trust him and you can walk in boldness. And that's what Israel had to hear from Zechariah. And I hope that's what you hear from Zechariah today. There's so much more joy when you go forward for Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the words of Zechariah. May they challenge us. May they speak to us, we pray. Amen.